Sean McCracken from Hotel News Now here with Greg Keneally. Hopefully pronounced that correctly, although you I did. feel like with some, a name like Sean McCracken, I should be able to pronounce an Irish last name, but... All good. So I just want to get a sense from you. We're a couple years into Mission Hill as an entity, correct? Yes. So what's it been like growing the business, especially in the environment that we're in right now? Obviously an acquisition vehicle, but deals are a little hard to come by right now. So what, what's it been like kind of ramping up? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so Mission Hill acquired its first hotel in March of 2021, so we're a little over two years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, we own 27 hotels and are likely to be at just north of 30 uh, towards the middle middle of the summer, end of the summer. Um, so it's been it's been quite the journey. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. starting something from scratch uh, has been a lot of work. It's been incredibly gratifying. The the partnership with KSL Capital, uh, stating the obvious, has been incredible uh, and a huge factor in our early success. Um, you know, the world has changed a lot. You recall that when we were getting started, we're sort of coming out of COVID. Now we're dealing with lots of other macroeconomic challenges. So finding finding deals today is uh, and continuing our growth trajectory has been difficult, but uh, but we're we're finding a way to do it. So I'm very proud of that. So what's the difference between doing a deal today versus a couple of year, years ago when you guys really kicked this off? Quite a bit is different. I mean, it, it's probably equally as challenging, but for very different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. So. In, in late 2020 and through most of 2021, the, the underwriting unknown was, you know, the COVID recovery, is that gonna mm-hmm. happen at what pace? Is, you know, is leisure coming back? And then it was, is leisure overshooting and the champagne effect and it's gonna, it's gonna retract. So you were, you were trying to figure out the demand side of the equation without the benefit of recent history of how does the world recover from a pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Now we are spending as much time looking for hotels um, as we are looking for debt, yeah. right? Finding debt capital has been incredibly difficult. Um, I think the, the the number of assets on the market that are attractive to us is relatively limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the deals we're finding are, have been off market that are sort of relationship driven. Um, so it's been it's been challenging in those in those ways. You know, the the impact of of higher interest rates obviously makes the cost of acquisition more difficult, but its impact on, you know, the economic trajectory going forward is also something we're trying to get our arms around. Right. There's not a lot of certainty there. Um, And so underwriting in this new world is is more challenging. Right. Because you're you're likely to be fairly pessimistic about growth trajectory. You've got higher interest rate costs in many markets. Taxes and insurance are going up labor's going up right so there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on the cost side so you've really got to find assets where there's value creation that makes you optimistic that you can get to the return levels we need to yeah i mean i'd imagine though to a certain degree those cost pressures kind of prove out the thesis you guys had initially right because you're you're looking for assets that are not um the most costly to operate to begin with right? correct one of the many attractive aspects of the select service sector is it's a relatively high margin business. Mm-hmm. And so while we feel labor pressure, like every other hotel, its impact on our P&L percentage wise is far less than it would be if we ran a, a massive group box like the one we're sitting yeah. in. <laughs> yes. And yeah, for context, sitting in the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, which is just, I think so emblematic of this type of hotel, like it's like a battleship. You know? For sure. <laughs> like, it is a very different beast. So I, I wonder though, because the space you're in, it is so. It seems like there's so much heat behind it, and obviously, within the last couple of weeks, we got 
Hilton, Hyatt, and Marriott all launching, you know, mid-scale extended stay brands. Do you think is that evidence that you got you're in the right sector, or is it? Um, how do you digest that when you're thinking about this is the space you you want to play in? Yeah, so I guess a couple things come to mind. I mean, from the from the perspective of the of the large brand conglomerates pushing down into mid scale and then specifically mid scale extended stay is a is a fairly logical mm-hmm. growth path for them. You know, as an existing franchisee of select service assets, you know, it's I don't love it because yeah. it's just yet another brand on you know on the on the website that someone can choose to stay at relative to my hotel in a given market. Mm-hmm. But I think from their perspective that makes sense. Um, you know, we have made the conscious choice to stay at the premium end of of select service, and so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the hotels that are that are launching into that space are not direct competitors yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, how do you you mentioned you know it being a little bit harder to get deals done, or not harder, but different different difficulties in getting deals done for sure. Um, how do you source deals? How do you get them done now? Like, what what are the tr- the secret tricks to getting debt financing now like what what do you do to like get a deal past the finish line right now i'm not sure we have any secret tricks um (laughs) and if we did i don't know if i'd broadcast them but um (laughs) but you know honestly the the biggest factor for us is uh is the team Um, you know we've been very fortunate to put together a very high caliber team and uh, you know one of the other factors i think that's different is there are there are a number of other private equity groups that look at select service as part of a much broader set of things that they invest mm-hmm. in, whether they're a travel and leisure focused or they're hotel focused or they're real estate focused. And they, as a result of that, their strategy may have them in select service for a while, then out um, and then onto other things. And they're looking at it through more of a macro lens. We are select service sort of 24 seven, 365. And that mm-hmm. is our entire focus. And I think as a result of that, we find opportunities that other groups don't. I think we have benefit from relationships where we might be the first or second phone call from someone who's considering selling. And as a result of that, you know, as I mentioned, you know, most of the deals we're going to do in the first half of 2023, uh, you know, were sourced directly by our team members. Mm-hmm. So that feels really good. Yeah. Um, I guess the other factor is, you know, we are also looking at not every hotel that we buy, but for many of the hotels we buy, we see value creation opportunities, whether it's renovations, repositionings, brand changes, um, you know, in certain cases, expansions or repositioning of certain parts of the real estate uh, that frankly make other buyers uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but just sort of given my background, our team's background, and certainly, you know, our partnership uh, with KSL, that's very much in the wheelhouse. And so I think that enables us to go after certain deals that others wouldn't. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, obviously, your background is you know in asset management. That's like how that's still how you view view the world. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, uh, definitely enjoy perhaps more than some of my team would like. Um, you know, kind of getting under the hood and playing with the hotels and looking yeah. at the art of the possible. Uh, yeah. That's a really fun part of the job for me. Yeah, um, I, I it's probably true though. I, every uh, hotel asset manager I deal with obviously all very smart people but not not i don't envy the people who have to answer to them because a very demanding breed of of human being i feel like it certainly can be and yeah. you know they're you know from from 
philosophically, you know, our view is that the asset management function is to benefit from your vantage point, right? You're seeing multiple brands, you're seeing multiple operators, you're seeing lots of assets. Some we buy, some we don't. Mm -hmm. And your job is to assimilate all that information into best practices or what we would call a playbook and then bring that back to the property teams mm -hmm. um, in a collaborative, respectful way, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that ideally sort of two heads are better than one or one plus one makes three, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, there are certainly some people in our in the asset management profession um, who just kind of come in and, and ask tough questions and yeah. bark orders. And like anyone can put someone else back on their heels. Uh, that's not really the focus. Mm -hmm. The focus is to is to try and bring those best practices to the hotel teams in a respectful way that uh, reflects how much we appreciate all their hard work um, and just kind of working together to make it even yeah. better. I want to clarify. I think I know plenty of asset managers are wonderful people. I'm not saying you're all... I know you're not. I know you're not. <laughs> but it is part of the job where you can never be satisfied with good enough, right? Like that's how it, what's it come, what it feels like it comes down to. Yeah, and I guess I would I would reframe that to say that you know hotels are living, breathing things in a lot of ways. Yeah, and markets change, and so you have to be responsive to that. Mm -hmm. And you you know you don't sit back and rest on your laurels, right? There's always mm -hmm. other ways you can elevate service, elevate the product, elevate the amenities. And so we're always looking for those, I, I think, in a constructive and sort of naturally evolving way. But um, but, yeah, we're not going to there's no point at which you say we're done. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's never sure. it sort of never ends. Yeah. So what what opportunities are you seeing long term? Like what what gets you excited about the place you guys are playing in? You know, we're on one hand very proud of how far we've come in such a short period of time. But mm -hmm. I very much feel like we're still in the first inning of what Mission Hill Hospitality can be. Yeah, for sure. We are, you know, we are we are really uh, fortunate to have gotten a high caliber team together early in our in our growth, um, and that team is really gelled. Um, and we're we are now the the theme for us in 2023 is systemization. So right, we're 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 buying hotels that are largely similar to one another. We're asset managing hotels that are largely similar to one another. We're doing the accounting for them, the legal for them, et cetera. And so we're getting smarter and smarter and more efficient about how to do things. And I think that makes us more effective and hopefully will translate through to the returns we're able to generate. Um, you know, we see lots of opportunity for growth ahead, despite the headwinds that we're facing mm -hmm. at the moment, because we're going to be select service investors for the long term. Um, you know, we have the benefit of looking at everything through that longer term lens. And so we see a great path for growth. Uh, we see a great path to get, you know, even deeper and better partnerships with the management companies we work with to maximize the value of those hotels. You know, we're developing lender relationships, like all these mm -hmm. things that are happening that yeah. I think are benefiting us today, but will really benefit us, you know, sort of down the road. Yeah. And it's, I mean, kind of a testament of what you guys have done already that so young in your, in your growth here that, that so many of the deals you're doing are relationship based when, I mean. It is. That's entirely a function of the of the team, um, and in certain cases, the the KSL capital connection, mm -hmm. which obviously is hugely helpful for getting a company off the ground. Like a, the backing of KSL is probably a pretty big. Absolutely critical. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were uh, they were an instrumental part of of our early success, and and in every aspect of the success we've had to up to today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you kind of hinted at it, but what are what are your short term expectations? Like, what do you think for the rest of the year into next year? Do you think that we're teetering on the edge of recession? Do you think that there will be any sort of demand downturn in the near term? I, I do, but I, my my opinion is formed from you know 
reading and listening to folks who are, are far more informed than I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, economists and such. We all consume those types of news outlets. So, yeah, it certainly feels like we're, we're, we're heading in that direction. I'm like everybody else, sort of fingers crossed that it's mild and short. Mm-hmm. But again, with the. So on one hand, you know, we are preparing for that outcome, right, from an asset management perspective, from a cost mitigation perspective. You know, if we see demand starting to slip, we're prepared to try and mitigate on the cost side mm-hmm. uh, to try and, and maintain the profitability or, or minimize the profitability decrease that we see across our hotels. Um, but again, with that long-term perspective that I mentioned earlier, you know, two other things uh, come to mind. One is, you know, if you, if you zoom out a little bit, you know, the trajectory of our industry um, is incredibly strong and resilient, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, a, I'm very confident that if we have a recession and, you know, regardless of its severity, that, that our industry will bounce back quickly and bounce back, you know, with enthusiasm and vigor. Yeah. And so we have, the, we have the benefit of flexing our, our investment horizon on any given hotel to kind of maximize, um, you know, exit value, which means we can hold longer if we need to. Um, and, you know, on the on the growth side, you know, periods of economic distress tend to create acquisition opportunities. Mm-hmm. So when when things get tough, you know, the acquisition team gets excited, the asset management team has to work harder. Um, but it's just part of the trade off. Yeah, for sure. Has the experience of the last few years really changed how you guys would approach cost cutting in, in a recessionary environment? I mean, I bring that up because, you know, hear from a lot of people that Traditionally, if things go down, you you let people go out of necessity, you know, protect the bottom line. But some people are a little less willing to let people go just because of the the lessons we learned about, you know, how much you lose out when you don't have that human capital. Has that, has your approach mentally thinking about how you would what you would do in the worst case changed at all? That's an insightful question. I, I would say yes. I mean, recognizing that during the depths of COVID, I had a different role, right? I was in my role at KSL Capital. Um, But we, and, and, you know, there there was no playbook for how to navigate a Mm -hmm. global pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So it was obviously very, very difficult from a business perspective, obviously tragic from a human perspective. But, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, and we learned how to operate everything with far, with a far smaller and lower cost structure. Uh, But we also uh, learned or I guess for us philosophically, we're validated that, um, you know, culture matters, how you treat people matter, mm-hmm. and what what we find in, in certain cases we had no choice but to but to reduce staffing, but I think we did it in a way that um, tried to help those people with those transitions, and as a result, um, we are finding that across many of the, you know, many of our hotels that we now have because of the operating partners who had the same philosophy, you know that. The groups that treated people great had good cultures before COVID. Yeah. Surprisingly, um, you know, in, in quotes, um, you know, had far less trouble recruiting those people back. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, culture matters, reputation matters. And, you know, the organizations that really embody that, Davidson Hospitality Group being a great example of this, you know, staffed back up the fastest and got out of the gates quicker and as a result had greater economic upside. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Tom at Davidson about that exactly, and him saying yes. that they kept everybody at corporate for that exact reason, just because they knew, yeah, you know, there's going to be the other light at the end of the tunnel eventually. You know, it was a very bold move uh, uh, under his and John Belden's leadership, uh, which paid off enormously for for the employees 
uh, for their owners who are their clients, um, and then for from Davidson from a from a growth perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears a little bit, but still kind of um, attached to kind of this lessons learned from the past few years. But do you think we've reached an equilibrium point on kind of the cost cutting needed, especially in the select service space, and being able to service you know guests' desires and demands? Obviously, like there was kind of a, a decoupling of, you know, guest service scores and profitability or so. Yes. Like, do you think we're still trying to figure out what the right levels are there? Yes, I do. I think our industry um, as a whole, uh, <laughs> in certain cases, can't decide what they want. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it it's, it's helpful uh, to the profitability of a hotel to have, relaxed standards around housekeeping as a, as an obvious example and the, and the frequency of that. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, certain hotels will start to elevate service and amenity levels the moment they see that it creates an economic return for them relative mm-hmm. to the rate they can charge. And so you just have to decide where you want to play. Um, but it's, and, and there's a constant feedback loop with the, with the major brands on that topic as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's been some progress made there. Um, in terms of certain brand standards or costs that really weren't didn't create value for the guest and yeah. so it, it allowed us to have the conversation do we really need to do x because the guest doesn't care and we don't want it and then brands became more flexible and i'm hopeful that they will remember that and use that lens as they look yeah. at what things come back and when but i think we, we're at a pretty good spot there mm-hmm. there's always room for improvement but it's not a major focus for us yeah i mean it feels like the asset managers of the world were fighting that fight for years and years and years for ahead sure. of the pandemic. And finally, this was like, you know, proof is in the pudding, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and, and I think that at the end of the day, guests vote with their feet and with their wallet. Yeah. And, um, and now they vote on TripAdvisor too. Yeah. Um, and so you, there's no need to, to wonder, mm-hmm. right. Or to hypothesize. I mean, the data speaks for itself. And if people look at it through that lens, I think they'll make the right choices. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about, Greg? We're actually way ahead of schedule on this. You got you got about twenty minutes before you got to get, <laughs> oh, geez, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> but if there's something else on your mind, I'm happy to address it, but uh, not specifically. No, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been great. Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Right. Thanks.